and it's it's unfortunate um, i mean it's not like it's not recognized within the government in december we had a member of the national security council speak to our advisory board and tell us that yes gps is still a single point of failure for um for america and the following following question is well what are you going to do about it From the Defense and Aerospace Report, this is The Downlink, a podcast about the intersection of space, the space business, and defense. Not just what's over the horizon, but what's happening above it. I'm your host, Laura Winter. Hey there, and welcome back. And thank you for joining if you are new to the Downlink Podcast. This week's episode is part one of two on PNT. PNT stands for Positioning, Navigation, and Timing. And all three parts come from the Space-Based Global Positioning System, or as most of us know it, GPS. The GPS is a U.S. government-owned mid-Earth orbit satellite constellation. The system has roughly 31 satellites at any given time of that number, 24 are operationally engaged, while the remainder are either spares or being serviced, like upgrading software. You already know that GPS is everywhere, from your smartphone navigation app to precision farming and precision-guided missiles. The onboard atomic clocks are also essential for synchronizing the nation's critical infrastructure. Think dams, oil and natural gas processing, wireless communications. It's often cited that if we, just in the United States, lost access to the GPS, our economy would lose at least a billion dollars a day in value. My guest says that's an underestimate by a lot. Adversaries know the value of GPS. That's why after Russia's successful anti-satellite test in November, a number of hawkish Russian television commentators openly called for targeting the GPS. They know and we know that without an economy, you can't pay for a strong defense. And here's the thing. We don't have a backup. No plan B. And that's what worries Dana Goward. He's a retired Coast Guard captain who's now serving on the National Positioning, Navigation, and Timing Advisory Board. And he's also the president of the Resilient Navigation and Timing Foundation. Here's our conversation. Hi, Dana. Thank you for joining me on The Downlink. Hi, Laura. It's a real pleasure to be here. Dana, You have a long history of government service in and out of uniform. Your position on the advisory board for the National Space-Based Positioning, Navigation, and Timing, also known as PNT, that's really just the tip of the iceberg. So let's just start off with having you briefly introduce yourself and explain what it is that you do now, the advisory board, and the organization that you lead, which is called the Resilient Navigation and Timing Foundation. Right. Well, uh, as it turns out, I've discovered that I've been a lifelong navigator ever since I was a scout orienteering in the the woods with compass and map. Um, After that, I uh, went to sea as a cadet and also as a seagoing officer navigating a Coast Guard ship. And then I became a a helicopter pilot for the majority of my early career, where I was trying to find my way in the absence of GPS uh, initially uh, over trackless waters and uh, find people that uh, were lost within them. So, of course, after GPS came along, it was a huge benefit, and I became an instant fan, made my 
uh, job a lot easier. And I um, uh, know personally of dozens of people who we would not have found and who would not be with us today, but for the fact that we had GPS navigation and uh, allowed us to navigate more safely and uh, efficiently and effectively. So um, after, after that, I um, uh, had an, a number of positions and uh, retired from federal uh, uniform service, from Coast Guard service, uh, and uh, was hired back by the Coast Guard as the, uh, in, in several positions, uh, one of which, the last one I served in, was as the Maritime Navigation Authority for the United States. So buoys and lighthouses and rules of the road to keep ships from bumping into each other and that sort of thing, in addition to systems to augment and uh, support uh, GPS and other methods of navigation. So when I wound up my uh, civilian federal service uh, and retired, uh, there were still some things that needed to be done and they didn't look like they were going to be done. So um, myself and a former assistant secretary of the Air Force founded this um, scientific and educational charity, the Resilient Navigation and Timing Foundation, which is really a mouthful. We, we acknowledge that, but we had to be able to explain ourselves to technologists, right? And have them say, yes, that's what you do. And uh, we figured we'd leave the, uh, uh, the marketing to the general public for later, but we've become uh, pretty well recognized within the community. I, I'm not too uh, ashamed to say as a uh, staunch advocate for policies and systems to protect GPS satellites, signals, and users. You followed your father into the Coast Guard, and you credit him with inspiring you to found the RT Foundation. What initially got you hooked on satellite-based navigation and time? I mean, GPS.gov calls you the nation's maritime navigation authority. Well, that may have been true at one point. I'm not sure I've been able to maintain that uh, that premier leadership since then. But uh, no, I uh, was uh, bent on a military service uh, from the time I was in high school. And uh, since dad was in the Coast Guard, it uh, seemed the natural uh, way to go. I had uh, uh, clearly was aware of his sacrifice and service and the good things that he did. And unlike the other services, the Coast Guard is operating and doing real missions every day. Uh, we don't have we didn't have the uh, the opportunity to sit back and just train and prepare very much because there was always another mission, another law enforcement mission or a pollution response or uh, a rescue to do. Um, in fact, when I was privileged to command uh, the Coast Guard Air Station in New Orleans, we had over 300 rescue cases a year and over 300 pollution cases a year and uh, um, uh, 100 and or, or more uh, law enforcement missions. So, so it's a real hands-on every day, go out there and do the people's business, protect the, the nation and, um, and individuals. So it was very appealing. So that's that's where I ended up. And, and I was fortunate enough, as I mentioned, that when I left uniform service, they hired me back as a senior civilian, which was fascinating in and of itself. And, and it's as a senior civilian uh, in uh, leading the uh, nation's maritime navigation uh, policy and efforts that uh, I really get into uh, navigation policy and bumped up against GPS. Uh, I uh, spoke to the advisory board that I eventually would become a member of and, and presented uh, uh, the government's plans. And uh, so, yeah, uh, it's, uh, it's, it's been a great, uh, great journey. And I'm fortunate enough in retirement to be able to stay connected. Was there a, an aha moment when you said, Right. I'm, I'm going to focus my time, my effort, my energy into PNT. There, there came a point, uh, there, there was a point in around um, 
2004, when President Bush actually said, um, you know, GPS is really important to the nation. And the day it goes away, we're going to be in a world of hurt. So go out and get me an alternative system, a backup system, so that uh, we can protect the nation and the economy uh, against that eventuality. Uh, and we had done a lot of work. Um, I, I say we, mostly the folks that I worked for, but it was a several year process. And we had finally re uh, resolved uh, upon a solution and the, uh, the, the government announced what they were going to do and that there was gonna be a backup system put in place, uh, an alternative uh, system put in place. Then uh, for a number of bad bureaucratic reasons, uh, victory was, or, or defeat was snatched from the jaws of victory and uh, the money was taken away and uh, uh, it was not to be anymore. And uh, that persisted for the whole time, that, the remainder of the time that I was in government. And it struck me that regardless of uh, some other faceless bureaucrats uh, being able to intercede and contradict the, the uh, advice and, and uh, uh, expertise of every engineer and technologist in the administration, uh, that this was something that we, we needed to, um, to address. And so uh, having been unable to do any more within government to advocate for the, uh, the issue, um, when I retired, uh, we decided to go into um, basically a non-governmental organization advocacy and uh, point out that we still had this really significant hanging chad and that GPS and users were not protected the way that the president and the administration had said that they would be uh, and that um, uh, to try to encourage um, the administration and, and Congress to do things. So, And we're still unfortunately on that journey. 2004, this is what we're going to do. Actually, the next president, President Obama, repeated that, or his, his administration repeated that in 2015. Congress told the administration in 2018 to go do it. Uh, but uh, here we are, 18 years uh, later, still no closer to having an alternative uh, that's widely adoptable by, uh, by folks across the, uh, the economy and society. And it's, it's unfortunate. Uh, I mean, it's not like it's not recognized within the government. In December, we had a member of the National Security Council speak to our advisory board and tell us that, yes, GPS is still a single point of failure for, um, for America. And the following, following question is, well, what are you going to do about it? Um, and unfortunately, we, we don't have a good answer yet. So... The U.S. Space Force says U.S. satellites are being attacked daily, but with no more details than that, we do know that Russia has openly said its target list includes some 31 U.S. government-owned GPS satellites in medium Earth orbit, or MEO, and who could forget last November's anti-satellite test? But that's only the stuff we can see and hear. There's a lot going on in the gray. There's jamming and spoofing daily. Can you describe what's happening now on any given day? Absolutely. Not with any degree of specificity, of course, because it's happening everywhere. Jamming is a very, very common uh, event uh, in the United States and elsewhere. The proliferation of what are called euphemistically personal privacy devices is rampant. They're very inexpensive and they're available on the internet. And in fact, just today I saw an article online talking about why GPS jammers were needed and necessary. Um, not the kind of thing that we want to promulgate, but uh, a lot of people think that they are. 
uh, for privacy purposes. And then, of course, there are other malicious uses of uh, interference devices by criminal organizations and terrorist organizations, not to mention nation states, right? So you have the whole spectrum of individuals to nation states, all with the capability, all exercising that capability and jamming for their own reasons pretty much everywhere uh, around the globe. Now, we don't have a real good idea of how much jamming is going on in the United States, principally for the reason that we just haven't looked. And it might be because we don't really want to know, you know, because if you know something, you might actually have to do something about it. But we do have an example from the Europeans. Uh, their satellite navigation system, Galileo, was designed for commercial purposes. So they have actually done some sampling of signals and whether or not they're being disrupted in various locations. Now, they just did a sampling uh, and um, over the course of a year or two in their sampling and select locations over short periods of time, they found over 500,000 uh, different signals that had the potential to disrupt GPS or Galileo or some other global navigation satellite service. And when I say one or the other, it's usually all of them because the frequencies are very close together and it's not as though these jammers are UL uh, approved and they're able to get all of the, uh, the systems uh, at the same time. So of these 500,000, they found only about 10% of them uh, were intentional. The rest was just spurious noise from malfunctioning equipment, um, other natural or human, uh, human events. Um, the challenge is that these signals from space are just so very, very faint. They're fainter than the, the, the radio noise made by the stars and the sun shining, right? So any additional radio noise or radio, uh, radio signals in the spectrum is pretty much guaranteed to, uh, to pre prevent the reception by most uh, unsophisticated receivers, which is, which is what most folks have. So uh, among those 10%, they found there were 300 different families of jamming uh, devices. You, you can see that uh, if, if that's the situation in Europe, developed countries over there, it's probably the situation over here in the United States. And we have seen enough anecdotes, enough examples of this happening to, uh, to be very concerned. Uh, to give you one relatively um, uh, high profile example that uh, hasn't gotten as much attention as I think it, it deserves, we almost lost a passenger aircraft in 2019 because of accidental GPS interference. It was on approach to uh, Sun Valley, Idaho. Uh, and um, the, the, one of the problems with jamming or interference is that sometimes the initial stages can look like spoofing. So this aircraft was on, on approach. To, uh, GPS interference had been reported earlier in the day, but it seemed to have clear, cleared up. It was flying through a smoky uh, layer, uh, and it was following uh, the GPS on a GPS aviation approach with, a, with an approved GPS aviation GPS receiver certified by the FAA. Fortunately, an air traffic controller hundreds of miles away happened to notice that the aircraft had descended to 8,500 feet and was headed towards a 9,000 foot mountain. And he was able to have them contacted over the radio and vectored away. And they, they used another procedure to get to the airport and were able to land safely. But that, that gives you the sense of the kind of thing that either through intentional jamming, inadvertent interference or deliberate spoofing is entirely possible.
so yeah, it's so it's a real a real challenge. And and of course you mentioned spoofing, and spoofing is interference with deliberate interference, uh, where uh, the uh, the person doing the spoofing int sends intentionally. Uh, misleading information and makes the the user the receiver think it's somewhere where it's not. And we see that uh, we we see that all the time, especially in the Far East. Um, we see um, uh, we see that in uh, the Ukraine and the, the Black Sea and um, a, a number of uh, of other places as well. So, well, how does all of that affect defense activities and the safe operation of our critical infrastructure? Well, so that's that's two questions, but uh, yeah. Uh, so General Hyten, a former uh, uh, vice chairman of the Joint Chiefs of Staff, says it's a huge problem for defense um, because we have these GPS receivers that are sort of built into all kinds of different things, and, um, and this is something that uh, the Pentagon has taken a look at and is continuing to work on. The General uh, Accountability Office or the Government Accountability Office has done several reports on on that as well. So, so it's a huge problem for them, and, and they have some generalized approaches, but according to the GAO, um, more leadership attention and concern um, and focused effort um, uh, could, could, could benefit the department and our military. It, it, it's important to think about uh, the defense implications of this. Uh, but um, we in, in our foundation trust the folks in the Department of Defense with all the people they have and all the money they have and focus they have to, to hopefully uh, uh, adequately address that. And we are actually much more concerned domestically about not only critical infrastructure, but the nation as a whole. Because, you know, if you just say critical infrastructure, uh, you ignore all of the local, state, tribal, county, federal uh, uses of, uh, of, of GPS for in, in communications radios and first responders, uh, uh, you, uh, you ignore the mom and pop um, uh, companies, you ignore Uber and Lyft, you, you ignore whole swaths of, of, of the US economy and society, all of which need uh, the position navigation and timing signals from GPS in order to continue to have the kind of uh, life that we have. Um, I mean, it's really fundamental to the way we are living today. We have restructured our companies and our society around continually available, highly precise uh, navigation and timing. Cell phones are, are a good example. Uh, the cell phone towers coordinate each other with each other using GPS timing. And uh, they would still work uh, if the GPS timing went away, but very quickly they wouldn't be able to talk to each other. So you and I uh, being maybe 10 miles distant would be able to talk to each other, but very quickly we wouldn't be able to talk to anybody uh, in Norfolk uh, because um, the, the, the cell phone system would become desynchronized. So that's just, just one example. And uh, networks uh, use uh, GPS timing for synchronization. And we understand that networks are kind of important. I mean, they support uh, uh, financial transactions, uh, credit cards, ATMs. Um, they support uh, energy grids uh, and uh, uh, all manner of things. So, uh, so networks will be severely impacted as well. We do not want to uh, to live in a world that's been without uh, position navigation timing for uh, a day or more. I can guarantee you that. But that the cost of that is allegedly a billion dollars a day if we don't have you know access to GPS. 
So, uh, so uh, GPS is very important, and uh, the uh, trying to quantify the value of GPS is very, very difficult. Uh, you mentioned a study that said uh, if we didn't have it, we'd lose a billion dollars a day. Uh, that, uh, in my mind, is um, uh, a gross underestimation. It seems like a lot of money, but when you look at what the U.S. economy produces every year, it's that's only a, a reduction of about one point seven percent. Uh, so the economists that did that obviously uh, tried to base everything in reportable numbers, uh, but it's beyond me that the government would have accepted such a result because it is, it, it is so apparently untrue. I'm not even sure that you can express numerically in a way that makes sense to people um, what life would be like or the damage we would have if we didn't have uh, GPS uh, signals available. Uh, there was a author of a book about GPS called Pinpoint. And he, he asked the question in his book, what's the value of GPS? And he answered it with another question. He says, what's the value of oxygen, right? It's a, it's a near existential uh, problem if we don't have those services available. That is why countries like Russia and China uh, have uh, maintained and continue to improve terrestrial systems so that when signals from space are not available, uh, their societies and militaries will have something to rely upon. Uh, China especially has uh, developed a system of systems approach where they use uh, not only a, their own GPS-like system at uh, medium Earth orbit, uh, they have uh, PNT uh, signals available from satellites in geostationary orbit and from low Earth orbit. They also have highly precisely measured uh, fiber runs uh, so that they can do very efficient and accurate time transfer. Um, they have a terrestrial um, broadcast for PNT called ELORAN that is, uh, that is expanding to cover their entire country because they've said uh, they want to protect themselves against disruptions from sp of space signals. Uh, and they're looking to expand their 5G into providing uh, position navigation timing information as well. So, so they have recognized that uh, PNT services are critical technology infrastructure and that if they provide that and make sure everyone has it whenever and wherever they need it, they will enable so many more applications and more productivity than if they had a single point of failure that came from Mio in the sky. Then let me ask you this, you know, what's the definition of resiliency then for on-orbit infrastructure for PNT? The the well the the uh, definition according to the Department of Homeland Security of resiliency generally is that a system resist disruption and then when it is disrupted it recovers quickly and i would i would offer that one of the challenges that we have and one of the mistakes folks make is when they think about space and when they think about gps particularly they think they they structure the solutions in space right and don't get me wrong there are things we can do in space to improve right we can have different and more satellites. We can have them in different orbits like the Chinese do. Uh, we can have stronger signals, all of which is good. Incremental improvements though. But the key 
Uh, and this is something that the Department of Transportation has uh, indicated in a report on uh, GPS and PNT that they've done. The key is really to have multiple diverse methods of delivery of sovereign time and uh, position and navigation. So uh, the Department of Transportation um, uh, report suggests signals from space, yes, but also uh, signals from terrestrial transmitters uh, and having the terrestrial transmitters be supported by fiber. So that's, that's a three-legged stool uh, with very few common failure modes among the three different methods. Uh, and if, if we did that and it was made uh, uh, available for everyone in the U.S. to uh, to adopt and to use, we I think we would do, I know we would do th uh, three different things, three very important things. One, we'd get the bullseye off of GPS, right? Because right now it's like target number one. The Russians told us that, right? Uh, they're about ready to invade Ukraine and they say, look, you know, watch, we can shoot down a satellite and guess what? We can shoot down all of your GPS satellites as well. They didn't talk about surveillance satellites. They didn't talk about other capability. They talked about GPS because they know it's a single point of failure for the homeland. And right now, to some degree, probably for the military, it's certainly a big crippler for the military if it goes away. So it would get the bullseye off of GPS. Two, it would provide Americans against that fateful day when the sun had a big coronal mass ejection and either charged the ionosphere uh, so badly that we couldn't get the signals for a couple of days, or worse, it was a really big one and destroyed the satellites. It would, it would provide Americans an alternative against the day when signals for whatever reason, cyber attack, human error, whatever reason, the signals weren't available, right? It would be a, a wonderful insurance policy. And, and we argue it's a it's, it could be had for a very small, small fraction of what we spend on GPS now and a minuscule fraction of what it, uh, against the damage that would be done if, we, if these weren't available. So take the bullseye off GPS, ensure the nation, and it would provide that tech infrastructure of, of solid, rock solid PNT for developers, application folks, new industries to use and build on uh, to make all kinds of new wonderful, uh, uh, wonderful things to make the nation more productive and to catch up to where, where China is right now, where they're eating our lunch. You mentioned that it would be a fraction of the cost to mm. stand, you know, the other two legs of the stool up. Right. Well, ballpark, what would it cost? So um, we've been talking with folks in industry. Um, we have uh, supporters who are in the business of uh, providing these kinds of uh, uh, services and they support our mission. And we, as a nonprofit, don't support them directly, but uh, but they, they are able to give us ballpark figures of what these kinds of things would cost. And so um, we've done some rough calculations. We're talking something less than $100 million a year. If the government was to not build the system itself, but to say, these are the signals and services we would like to see Americans have, who will provide them to us on a contract service basis. And, and that's, uh, you know, that's, that's budget dust. And so maybe we're wrong. Maybe it's two or three times that. It's still budget dust, and it's still minuscule compared to the immense damage that could be done if GPS is still a point, single point of failure, or it's still the prime target, and and somebody uh, somebody takes it out. Right? I mean, it, just the deterrence value alone of, of taking the bullseye off of GPS is, in my mind, a good enough reason to uh, uh, to get busy and and protect the homeland. 
Dana, thank you so much for your time. My pleasure. It's, it's, uh, it's a real thrill of being able to talk with you. That's this week's episode. Come back next week for part two to hear from a founder of a commercial solution, a plan B that's already being used by the financial sector. For the latest defense news and analysis, listen to the Daily Defense and Aerospace Report podcast hosted by Vago Maradian. And to stay up to date on what's happening in the maritime domain, check out Cavus Ships. I'm Laura Winter, and thank you for listening.